So I know we talk about sports basically every episode. And if somebody just tuned in randomly, they would think we were an ESPN podcast. But the World Series was last week. It was amazing. That's the adjective you're looking for. It was amazing. And the Atlanta Braves won for the first time in nearly 30 years. Triumphant would also work. It was a triumphant World Series. It was one of those situations where it's like lose-lose for me. I didn't want to see the Astros win because we already talked about them being big cheaters. And the other one via one co-host is an Astros fan. So I didn't want to hear him gloat. And he's you gloat, but you're not. You're like semi-automatic fire. It's like pop, pop, pop. He's like a machine gun when he gloats. And I can't handle that all the time. He's an automatic weapons gloater. So. I appreciate so he, that. I appreciate that your gloating is like I can respond to it one at a time, whereas <laughs> his is just a fire hose. But yeah, congrats on the Atlanta Braves winning. I think I recognize maybe two names on their roster when I watched the one game I watched. I was eight years old the last time they won, and I was twelve the last time they went. So I was telling my like throughout the NLCS and the World Series, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see this again. So I told my wife like. I'm enjoying every minute of this and I'm, I'm, I'm allowing myself to be zoned out from eight till midnight. So man, it was such a good world series. And the reason you didn't recognize anybody is because everybody got, well, you're not a baseball fan, but <laughs> our president of baseball operations, Alex Anthropolis did an amazing job. Literally all four of our outfielders were purchased at the deadline or near the deadline because all of our outfielders that we started the season with were either hurt or had legal trouble and got hurt. <laughs> So he made up like the entire outfield for a team that was like four games below 500 at the time he pulled the trigger on all that. So, yeah, I, just, I, I don't watch baseball, but I know the big names. I know who Freddie Freeman is. I've seen him be good. We signed Freddie. And yeah, but it was a I, I know that the GM pulled off some uh, masterworks to put that team together. So it's very impressive. Congratulations on uh seeing your favorite baseball team win the World Series in a sport nobody watches anymore. Uh, we are the 1v1 <laughs> Deep State Podcast. I am Jake at the rake on Twitter, but the A is a four. My co-host, as always, Thomas Black at Thomas Black underscore 86 on Twitter and the show's Twitter at OVO Deep State. This week we had, well, Thomas had a great week. So Braves won the World Series. I wanted to do like a live kind of Virginia governor election special, but Thomas informed me that he could not take his eyes away from the Braves winning the World Series, which, you know, all fair. So we delayed this a week, uh, but Thomas ended up having the the rare double W, as we like to call it. And Youngkin ended up beating McAuliffe by about two points, which is, you know, not insignificant. No, not at all. I saw the polls trending that way early and, you know, congratulated on your win probably about like 9.30.10. (laughs) And then I think I went to bed. Uh, So even if we did a live election special, it probably wouldn't have been too exciting. So I'm glad we waited. We had we had time to kind of marinate on it and uh, let the media, you know, shout into the void all their prognostications about what this means. But I'm definitely interested in what you think. Uh, But first things first, how are you feeling? I know you feel uh, more hopeful for the next four years for Virginia than than uh, the previous four years. Yeah, I, I do. Um, it's funny. A buddy of mine who's 
very, very conservative, which is kind of he's from Michigan. So he's like, hey, how do you feel about this? And I feel like less damage will be done. But I think just the Republicans still in general are probably too want to be too involved in the lives of citizens. So it's not like I'm a yes, this is the person I really like and he's going to do wonderful things. And he'll be the standard bearer by which all Republicans should, you know, model their campaign (laughs) and their governance after. Um, But, you know, like I guess like the the traditional Republican things like I'm going to agree with him more in all likelihood on abortion and policies on abortion. You know, I, I think with some of the education stuff that's happened in Virginia, um, I'll probably agree with him a lot more there because like when we talked about when we did the school board thing, well, I think they could have handled that much better. At the end of the day, they were following the guidance handed down from the, the Commonwealth. You know, they were, they were coming down from the Virginia Department of, Department of Education. So unless you really wanted to fight them, fight the state, you know, you, you pretty much had to do what they were saying. So I think on some of those issues, it, it'll be good. It'll be better. But I think the Republicans still have policy changes they need to make as a party before I would be like thrilled. Super so, excited. Before I'd be super excited. But I don't know. Yeah, I was happy. So, I mean, I voted. I mean, I've agreed with him enough to vote for him and, and vote Republican down down the ballot. So, yeah, I think the as you bring up the education thing, I think that was granted this is exit polling and, you know, sample size matters. It wasn't a huge sample. But I think the economy was number one and then education was number two. And I think education was probably what swung the race on top of some other minor issues that we can get into. But I want to kind of talk about the education piece. And we've been waffling on when to talk about CRT and other issues. Uh, But that became a big focal point in the last like month or two of the race here. All the ads were about. Anti-CRT on the Yunkin side. Anti-CRT, there's the famous ad that came out a week or two before the election of some Fairfax mother who's had to read a book. Her son had to read a book and it gave him nightmares or something. It was uh, the book Beloved and it was an AP English class. So I'm not really on the book banning thing. But you you brought up some we, – we've had these discussions on Twitter and whatnot. You brought up some books that were deemed – explicit i would say pornographic Mm -hmm. i guess again i never looked into what specific books we were necessarily talking about but in general i'm definitely against the banning of books that aren't explicit or pornographic and the problem with that being who decides what's explicit and pornographic and who decides what's not right for high school i'm for high school i'm way more lenient on what sort of books should be in there this uh could be a whole nother episode but but stuff that you know, it's from a different era that might have the N-word in it, like Huckleberry Finn. Stuff that is explicitly violent or might have rape in it if it's part of talking about a war. Uh, because expl- explicit and excessive violence and rape happens in almost mm-hmm. every war. You know, it really depends on the context. If it's just a book about how to rape, yes, that probably shouldn't be. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever titled a book. <laughs> I- I mean, how to build a bomb, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Though? Like, that's no, the example I'm, I'm going to give is like, as long as it's not, you know, hustler magazines from the 70s uh, in, high, in high school, uh, I'm pretty lenient on that. I think you said there were some books in like middle school and maybe even elementary school libraries that were probably not okay. But in, in general, I'm not for removing books from schools. Yeah. And, and in general, I agree. And, and this is where the education one, um, it gets, 
to me, really interesting because I think there are three main pillars in education that people could be concerned about. You know, one being CRT, which I think we'll get into later. You know, one being the LGBTQ plus policy, which we've kind of discussed in another episode. But but the, the book one became a little more prominent in the in the you know statewide election with Governor McAuliffe saying you know he's not going to let parents dictate to teachers what they be teaching and he's not going to let them go into libraries and take books off. Well, again, completely agree with you. Like you know, you don't ban books. And what, 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 when I spoke at the school board about this uh, particular topic, what frustrated with me was those who had concerns that they would argue them from either a religious perspective, which I, I didn't agree with for a couple of different reasons, but one of which is just the, I mean, if, if you're going to argue from this is sinful, this is immoral, that's like every book. I mean, like that's like Shakespeare. That's, I mean, there's those, I mean, Mark Twain, stuff like that's every fiction book has people and characters acting independently and making moral choices. And the story develops based off those choices. So I didn't think that was a good, good argument. What, what, what I tried to argue, and they only give you 60 seconds right. to, to make just make your point. But what bothered me about what they called the uh, diversity library, there was one part that, that bothered me because at the high school level, the the books did get very explicit in uh, how they detailed uh, sex, sexual conduct, violent sexual aggression, such as rape, assault, things of that nature. So, so that bothered me two parts. One, from the perspective of like, if statistics are true that one in five girls are assaulted, and if you are making that required reading, that just seems uh, very immoral. Like you're having somebody suffering through the trauma of a real life experience. And then you're asking them to read about that in a, a book. Uh, it just seems very tone deaf to a certain reality we're becoming aware of in society. Now, having said that, I do believe that per policy, these books are only allowed to be in the library. And I think they have to be like sectioned off so they can't be mistaken for something else. But there have been a number of cases where the teacher has either assigned a book like this or it has been an option and the teacher, you know, allegedly, I would say, did not give warning that, hey, here are the contents in this book. Make sure your parents know where the con- that this book has this content in it before you get, you know, 120 pages in and realize, oh, wait, this book is like crossing moral and ethical lines of me and my parents. So that's one problem. The other is it, it really went beyond just the sexual content stuff and it would go into like immigration well, every book I previewed, and there are several hundred, and they just kind of give you a cliff note version of the book, and every one of them that talked about immigration, it was everybody who was against illegal immigration were painted as like racist, you know, bigoted people who hated non-whites. That's not diversity. Like that, that's that's a problem. And I'm okay with having those books in there, but they should also be coupled in my mind with like, oh, this this family that was concerned about it. Turns out they were concerned because this dude was mulling cocaine and and human trafficking, like across the border. You just got to paint both sides, even if it's fiction stories, and and you can't just paint one side. So that that was my big issue with the diversity library. It was not, it was indoctrination, not education. Now, do those other books already exist in the library and now we're balancing out? I I, I don't know. But uh, the school board, there was a guy that read one of the pastors. Passages from a book that was that was uh, sexually explicit, 
And as he was reading it out loud to the school board, the school board told him he cannot read that. It's inappropriate. And this is in a room full of adults. So clearly they saw the title of like the books that would be how to say this, of the, of the new books brought in. They saw it labeled under the banner of diversity library. And they said, this is great. Let's approve it without actually knowing what was what was being approved. So I think that's one aspect of education. And Terry McAuliffe's stance on it that potentially backfired and, and took some of those uh, independent voters away from him. Yeah, I think you've you brought it up for as part of what you were talking about. But the second thing I wanted to hit was I think the messaging, especially on education for McAuliffe specifically, really did a number on his his polling and his his voter share. I've got the actual quote up. And this was during one of their debates. Youngkin said, you believe school systems should tell children what to do. I believe parents should be in charge of their kids' education. And in response, McCall said, I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. Adding, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Now, in general... I agree with McCall. If we have school boards and local school boards and local school board meetings where parents can have their voices heard, most parents aren't experts in educating children, period. I say that and it sounds paradoxical, but you should be in charge of your parent, your kid's education. I'm going to make sure my kid is getting a good and diverse education, but I am not an expert in educating. I don't have a degree mm-hmm. in educating. I, I don't have... I'm not reading science and history and math textbooks to make sure this is age appropriate and developing the right skills and a myriad of other reasons. Mm -hmm. So I definitely agree that the school board should be in charge of of this. And we were kind of talking before the show about school choice and how this would solve some of these issues. And I don't necessarily disagree. But without school choice, with the current system we have, I, I agree with the principle that McAuliffe is setting out, but his messaging over the whole thing, awful. You don't tell parents you don't think they should be telling schools what to teach. There's a there's a way better way to say that. You say, yes, parents should involve, but the ultimate decision comes down to the school boards. Well, and, and, and so right immediately when I heard the quote, even without context, just because, you know, you, you follow politics long enough, you, you know, you're only going to hear the worst from an uh, opponent campaign. Right. right. What he probably meant, I hope, I think, maybe, um, what would have been better said is to say parents have to be involved in this kid's education, but we cannot succumb to mob rule when it comes right. to curriculum, um, books and libraries. And I think that would have been, like, reasonable. Because on both, like, yeah, again, you, you almost speaks to the difference between a pure democracy and a, a democratic republic, right? Like, it's not just mob rule and it's not just plurality that – chooses, right? You elect a governing body and they make choices. And if you don't like the choices, you vote that governing body out. But right. ultimately, that's not what he said. Um, and I think some of the challenge is, is, and I don't mean this in any condescending way, but Democrats are a more proactive governing party. Like they're, they're more, hey, let us kind of solve problems and plan out things from a government position, at least more than Republicans claim to be. So I, th- I think just some of those things and then the actual words he said did not help his campaign at all. And I think it probably gave 
Glenn Youngkin and out on areas where his messaging on education, I don't think was, it was really strong for the base, but it, it wasn't to me as strong as it could have been to actually grow the party and get some more independent voters. Yeah. He wasn't doing anything much different than anybody, any other Republican governor was going to do for education. But like, as soon as this happened, that's when all the attack ads came out. That's when I started seeing parents for Youngkin Mm -hmm. take back our schools. Like that's what the messaging became about. And it's one thing that Republicans are really good about doing. They're really good about agitating uh, an issue and then really driving the point home. The, the way it works and the way it works for public schools, you elect a local school board. We ha- you elect a a governor who sets up the board of the state board of education. But your local school board, who you went to their meetings and who were in the you know ours was in the news for getting everything. Ours was in the news for everything. Yeah, like those meetings got out of hand. But what you do is you vote them out, and then that's how you get your say. And then you listen to whatever parents you want to listen to. It's not if we had if the parents. The parents got to choose what we taught in school. Nothing would get taught in school. That's just that's just how it is. Like we would have I would not agree with you on what certain things should be taught. And, you know, we might agree on like math, but I mean, I, 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 I say you. I get what you're saying. I'm going to use you as a, a generic evil Republican. <laughs> not just a generic Republican. I'm the generic evil Republican. Evil Republican. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess it's a like oxymoron. Right. I, I didn't need to. Is it another kind? Yeah. Or not an oxymoron. It was, uh, you know, using two of the same words, synonyms. <laughs> <laughs> the we might agree on like math, but outside of that, like there's there's a million ways to teach English. There's a million ways to teach history. There's a million ways to teach science. There's I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people in Mountain County, like letting parents decide what's in the curriculum is not. And if you if you wanted to poll those parents and and see what topics should be taught in what ways, that's basically voting. So just vote, go to the polls and vote for your local school board. But, yeah, I think McCall's messaging on the topic was absolutely terrible. I think his messaging, I think dim messaging in general is bad, but this was uh, particularly bad. It's one of those situations where my 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 opponent says something and I'm just going to say the opposite and not think about what it actually means. And I thought that basically politics more, right? Like, right. And it's, it's, it's a situation. It's something that I do because I like to argue and debate with people that I'll just take, I'll automatically take the opposite position just to see if I can make it a, you know, a debatable. You just want to ruin people's day. Be honest. Uh, yeah, sure, you want people but... to go home, complain to their wives about this jerk Jake <laughs> they work with. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that happens a lot every day, but <laughs> But you, when you're in like a de- an actual uh, political debate, election debate with somebody, you can't do that. And it's not like this is a topic that wasn't going to come up. CRT in Loudoun County School Board and all this stuff has been happening for months. We talked about it in our very first episode. I, I can't believe that McAuliffe didn't have a more well thought out response to this issue. And it's it it's it's. One of the major reasons he won, uh, he lost white women by 14 points. Joe Biden won women by one point. This is all according to exit poll. So grain of salt. But Joe Biden won whip white women by one point and McAuliffe lost them by 14. That's a 15 point swing in a year. In a year. 
And I have to imagine that that was mostly due to education. And most of these are like mostly, you know, not necessarily stay at home moms, but moms that are concerned about their kids' education. Mm-hmm. And Saul McCall saying that they have no say in it and, you know, got angry and went to the polls. Yeah, well, but I think it's also important to contextualize. Like, I've never seen anything on Glenn Youngkin that made me think he, he wasn't a decent person. Like, yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't an honorable person. President Biden was running against President Trump. Yes. It, it's easy to. Well, that's 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 another thing we can get into. But I, I still think that that's not the whole story. I think it's probably a combination of both. No, it's not. But it's several. I mean, it's, it's an I don't say it's enough percentage points to win. It's it's man. In these races it's percentage points that matter. Yes. And that's why so much. And I think this was a, honestly, I think this was a mistake for the McAuliffe campaign. He spent so much time saying President Trump's name. That it was like he was running against President Trump. It's like you're running against Glenn Youngkin. You, you, I don't know that it's an effective strategy, and, and apparently it turned out not to be an effective strategy, just to try to say vote for me because Trump didn't endorse me and he endorsed Youngkin. Yeah. So that's the other that that's the other big thing I wanted to hit on. Running against somebody who's not holding any office probably not a good strategy, and not even not a good strategy. Like it was central to McAuliffe's campaign. Yeah. Was that he was he was running to make sure that the Trump endorsed candidate didn't win. Yunkin throughout his his campaign didn't seem very MAGA y. Wasn't I don't know, you gotta you gotta make up words. It's <laughs> he wasn't like some radical. He seems like a conservative conservative, like very mm-hmm. very you know I I don't people people can present one way and be differently in there campaigns but like for instance like i I think he's more moderate i like youngkin winning to me like spoiler i don't it's not i don't think it's big of a deal i think there are minor things that are going to happen over the next four years i don't think he's going to be a who would i consider a like an abbott type but we'll see i i could be wrong but in general like i don't think he scared a lot of people the way trump quote unquote scared you know dims and independents into running so if he had been a more MAGA-like candidate, I think that McAuliffe would have fared better and his strategy would have fared better. But Youngkin wasn't that guy, and he ran an anti-Trump strategy against a non-Trump-like candidate. And I, I absolutely agree that that was another blunder and another reason why he lost. And we're talking, again, he lost by two percentage points. It's not like it was a, it was a blowout one way or the other. Uh, every vote, it was 60,000, 60, 70,000 last I checked difference between them that's not a lot of votes over the across the state in in a in a state that had 3.2 or 3.3 million votes no it's it's not a lot of votes but i mean but but again i think it is very significant for recent history of virginia because it's been i mean this would been the ninth year where virginia has lost statewide elections you know so and then that's for you know you know u.s senate seats and then of course like governor lieutenant governor attorney general things like that so uh, he had an he had a an uphill battle, you know, to fight the whole time, just based off of you know recent voting trends of of Virginia. And I think for what's worth, his campaign did a pretty good job of kind of tiptoeing that that MAGA Republican line and the non MAGA Republican line because I mean, at the end of the day, he needs votes, and he needed people who were passionately in love with President Trump to go out and vote for him. But he, he needed to, to get them to vote for him in a way that, that didn't marry himself to President Trump. Because he would have, I think he would have lost if he had been like, yes, I am going to be President Trump from Richmond. Uh, he would have lost that election. 
I think so too. And I think that I think that McAuliffe painting him as a Trump candidate and being so anti-Trump. Every dim is anti-Trump. Like what dim wants Trump back in office or wants more yeah. of his of his governing style? None of them. But when McAuliffe is up there railing against Trump when he's not in office, I think that actually helps Youngkin with that MAGA base. They're you know they're like this guy's bad mouthing Trump. We're not gonna you know we got to get out there and unseat him. And I think I think so. I, I mean I, I think it was all the back. I think the whole messaging of his campaign was basically terrible. And we talked about this on Twitter when there was like a school assignment comparing and contrasting the two governor candidates. And like McCall's had like a bunch of stuff in his column. He had so much stuff to talk about and he did like, didn't talk about any of it. And Yunkin had like four things and they were all very generic. Like it yeah. was, it was, it was just a huge, huge blunder in my estimation. Yeah, it, it was. And I, and I mean, gosh, there's, there's so much, not to get off topic, but but in, in so many ways, there were subtle and non-subtle signs of why our, our entire system is not what it could be. To, but to go back to your point, like you know, so so for for context, you know, what Jake was referencing on Twitter, um, there was a pretty big name in Virginia politics, blue check mark on Twitter, who either tweeted out or retweeted just a school assignment from I think like a middle school civics class. And it caught my attention because it was, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was the school my daughter goes to. But it was it was comparing the two candidates and it was saying, hey, pick a topic from, I think, each column that you want to write about. And Glenn Youngkin's campaign had four topics. Terry McAuliffe's campaign had like 11. And then on the bottom, it said like, and there are many more you know, topics he's campaigning on. And it had two exclamation points. Yeah. Two exclamation points. <laughs> So I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, like that, that could be shady and like our educators shouldn't be activists in the classroom. So like, let me look at this. So I went to Youngkin's campaign, verbatim, those four are the only thing he had on his website. Went to McCullough's campaign. He had like 16 things he was trying to run on. The teacher put 11 of them in the column because there wasn't enough space for the other ones. And then like this, this you know, blue check mark politician of Virginia, I retweeted it and was like outraged. And then I kind of said, like, I, I don't see the outrage here. This is copied and pasted from from the websites. And th- there was a response from from her. And I was like, I just think we can do better. Like, there were legit things to be upset about, to be outraged about. But if you're outraged about everything, nobody's going to take you serious. And all you're going to, I mean, even from a political strategist standpoint, like, you're going to upset people to vote against your opponent. And they were already going to do that. But you... you the problem with our political system right now is everybody's the boy who cried wolf about everything. And there's no no time given to nuance your own argument and to argue against your opponent in a way that's not a straw man argument. And, and it just bothers me. Like, it bothered me when, when she did it. It bothers me. Cause both, I mean, everybody's guilty of it. It's not a Republican or Democratic Party. It's it's. Everybody doing this except Andrew Yang in the Ford Party at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I would love to talk about our system of government and the ways it's failing and the ways it can be improved, but that's a whole nother, whole nother topic, whole nother discussion. So I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on why economics it was such a big deal in this election is, I mean, economics is always the number, like almost always the number one issue for people in the election. 
as far as I can tell by most metrics, the economy is doing really well, especially coming out of a pandemic. The Virginia economy specifically is doing really well. I, I'm curious what those economic voters were were voting for. Were they voting were they voting f- to keep the economy going the way it was? Is it like were the economic voters mostly McCall voters or were they worried about the economy so they voted for Yunkin? I, that one has me perplexed. Yeah, well, and I think with, with economics, there's always, I would say, there's always metrics you can point to for success and at the same time, always metrics you can point to for failure or concern. So I think, you know, obviously, you know, purchasing power parity and inflation probably aren't where they, where a lot of people want them to be. And there's probably a decent reason for concern with how much money we pumped in, artificially pumped into the economy from the Fed in response to COVID and, and you know, lockdowns and assistance and extending periods where rent doesn't have to be paid, like all these things go into to economics, right? So, and I think there would be legitimate concerns for those who say the economy is my number one and I'm voting for Glenn Youngkin because of that. At the same time, you know, you've got the stock market doing great. Unemployment, I think, has, has come back to 5%, give or take a percentage point. And I think before the pandemic, it was down around four. So, I mean, all that said, like it's getting back, it's recovering to where where it was pre-pandemic. And that would be your people who said, hey, I want to go for McAuliffe because the economy is important. And I think a national election has some impact on this. And like since we've had a Democrat in office, the economy's still been recovering well. And yeah, I think I think specifically for Virginia, though, like compared to other states, we're in the top 10 for all, you know, almost all economic indicators. Granted, a lot of the economy in Virginia is is located up here in northern Virginia where we are. Yeah, uh, the rest the I I I don't know about the rest of the state. I don't read the local papers for, you know, the western part of Virginia. So it they could be struggling out there and I might just be, you know, a stupid typical east coast elite, right? Like only caring about the cities. But in general, like where where Virginia ranks is is very very high on the economy uh scale. I don't think unemployment is super high here. I know that we're like the becoming the Silicon Valley of the East Coast. There's so many data centers and tech so companies moving centers. out here. So many data centers. Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely stuff happening out here. I, I was just I always thought that I, I can't I don't know for certain without, you know, canvassing all these voters and talking to them specifically. But I don't know what Youngkin will do differently with the economy that wasn't already happening or or working or. You know, what, what, what necessarily what is there to fix? I mean, the economy could always be better. There's infinite growth. Right. I just for, for a governor of Virginia, I don't I don't know how you improve much on the economy. But I think that Biden's impotency to get the infrastructure bill passed during this election, like if this if the infrastructure bill got passed in June or July, this this election might have looked differently. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I hadn't thought about it. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I think you can make, again, this is very much like a traditional Republican argument. I think you could also make the case that if he didn't shut down the Keystone Pipeline and gas prices were lower, you know, then, then, then the election still may have looked differently and it may have went to the Democrats. Um, because, again, that would be my big thing as, as I look at it and, and consider how, like, all these voters, you know, went to Yunkin and, and with economics as the primary concern. I mean, that would be the most obvious place where, where prices have risen and, you know, disproportionate to wage increase. You know, so that that would be it, it'd be interesting to know if you could ever figure out, like, what would have happened if he would not have shut down that and gas prices would lower. Yeah, but 
as much as we think the U.S. is the center of the universe, like gas prices are a complicated issue. We have a strategic supply of oil and gas to where we could flood the market and make gas insanely cheap. But we would never do that because then we would make Saudi Arabia mad. We would make OPEC mad. And there are allies <laughs> in the Middle East. So the the price of gas is not really who the Keystone Pipeline was not going to make the gas a dollar a gallon cheaper. Like it's it's just not how it works. But yeah, I th- it still looks bad. It's still people still idiot politicians still reference gas prices for both presidents when it doesn't. There's not much they could do either way. I think that I don't. Again, it's because it's it was two points in the election in the Virginia election. I think it, that any anything could have helped McAuliffe. I think if I still think his messaging was terrible. But if the Build Back Better plan happened, got passed, and it included. Paid family leave. It included, you know, all the infrastructure. We live in an area that's one of the most. We are one of the highest average earning counties in America, and our roads are still trash every year. You know, infrastructure is always huge. If we have, if McAuliffe had that kind of stuff to run on, maybe he doesn't run the anti-Trump campaign, and his messaging is a little bit better, and he can make up those two points. Again, I don't. I'm not saying that. It's a guaranteed thing, but I think that would have helped him a lot if he had the the Build Back Better plan and in general a strong Biden presidency to to back up against. I don't think Biden did him any favors, basically. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I don't think there's a whole lot from a national perspective that's happened. I mean, yeah, from, from the federal level, I don't think there's a lot that's happened that has has significantly affected. Uh, states and would be able to alter or uh, supplement a statewide campaign, right? But again, I think the, the problems, the problems with his campaign, are not the the, the fault of Congressman and President Biden, right? No, no. I just I yeah. what what I'm saying is I think that if 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 they had the Build Back Better plan and it was big and robust and it was what the Dems wanted and they got it passed. There are things in there to campaign on, and I think that would have been. I would hope that he would campaign more on what they're what what they're doing and how he's going to help Virginians uh, utilize all this infrastructure and other money coming from the BBB would have distracted him from attacking Trump so much because I think I think not having that made him focus more on on being the anti-Trump candidate when Trump's not in office. I, that's It's not necessarily that the BBB itself would have dri- driven voters. I just think that McCall's messaging might have changed differently if uh, he had that to campaign on. And that's what, that's what I don't – and I guess I don't know. And, and kind of going back to what we said earlier, he had things on his website that he could have talked about. Like he wasn't lacking – I agree. Um, content he was passionate about and wanted to accomplish. He just chose not to talk about yeah. it at some point. And in some degree, it's probably reacting to the negative attack ads he was receiving, particularly on education. But but uh, this is where I say there's just a larger problem where our politics has become increasingly, I'm not the other guy. Right. So so you campaign based off of attacking the other guy. Um, I mean, even like when President Obama, President Obama came down to campaign on behalf of Terry McAuliffe, like he was making fun of Youngkin's sweater vest, like, what are we in high school where we like vote for the, the leader of the class based off how they, how cool they are? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> so, and I get, you know, you appeal to voters and, and you want to be charismatic. And I mean, it's not beyond me. It's just to me, going back to your point about Bill Back Better and what he could have ran on, he wasn't lacking things that he seemed to want to talk about. He just didn't. And I think he just got caught up in the, 
that's just that's just sort of contrast by pointing out how evil the other person is or how stupid they are or whatever. And I, I just think that that didn't didn't work for him. It worked for Youngkin because I think Youngkin primarily did the same thing as is you know paint your opponent as evil. But yeah, and I follow some progressives on Twitter, and they were making fun of McAuliffe because this is after he lost the election. He couldn't attack Glenn Youngkin for working for the Carlisle group and being like a plutocrat, being a, you know, basically a one percenter because McAuliffe invests in the Carlisle group. They're both, you know, this is this is a country for the most part run by elites. It's not every day. Glenn Youngkin wears his sweater vest to make it seem like he's an everyday guy. He's not that that guy is rich beyond our imagination McAuliffe is a rich white guy, old white guy. Like we don't have a diversity of candidates on either side. They have more in common with each other than <laughs> most people have, you know, with their neighbors. So it's kind of, again, we'll, we're definitely going to have an episode on the system of government we have and the candidates that we, we get because of it. But yeah, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin sharing a beer have more to talk about than, than most people, I would say. Yeah, no, there's probably truth in that. And you always want to paint yourself as, as not that person, but. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, there, if you, I, yeah. Again, it's it's similar to how me and you are. We have a lot in common. Where we, where we differ is very minor, or else we wouldn't be, you know, good friends for the most part. And yeah. I guarantee you, Young and McAuliffe could be good friends. Democrats also lost the House of Delegates in Virginia. They still have the Senate, I believe. Uh, for the time being, what do you see ne- Youngkin's next four years being like? Where what can he get accomplished without having the full backing of the state house? I, I tell you what, if if he is not the mouth, I would be very disappointed, and I'm already preparing to be very disappointed if he is not the mouthpiece for school choice, and if the House delegates don't write down legislation, vote on it, send it to the Senate, I'm going to be really disappointed. I think it's going to be a failure of the next two years before the next statewide election for, for, for legislative bodies occurs. You have to force that issue and you have to use the platform you have to explain the merits of that approach to education. And I think if you don't, you're wasting an opportunity of being a party that has something to run on and not just a party that runs against things. My fear is that we're just going to have four years where Second Amendment rights aren't attacked or discussed, that we're going to have four years where you don't have Governor Northam, you know, making comments about abortion that he made two, two or three years ago for keeping the baby stable and then deciding what to do post-birth. So, yeah, and I say all that, like, man, my fear is that they're just going to not do things instead of having a good plan of significant, yeah, significant and bold change and use your platform to either pass this and make it law or explain it where you have the time and the space to, to frequently say, this is why this is good for everybody. So that's what I hope that I'm really hopeful that they, they strongly push that. Yeah. I think they, I haven't looked at any of the 2022 maps for Virginia specifically. I've got to imagine that the red wave is coming as it always does in these midterm elections as history has shown. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think his first two years, he has to do a whole lot. He really just has to not fumble the ball, right? Like they're in the red zone. They're marching towards the end zone being the 2022 elections. Like just don't fumble. So we'll see how that goes. But what 
what impact or what did you glean from Write that question down because before, before you ask that, like, what are you? I mean, are you, are you most concerned? I mean, as, as a Democrat, liberal, like, are you most concerned that, oh, because he's in office and Republicans have the assembly, here's what I'm worried is going to happen next? What I would be worried about is him being a, an Abbott or a DeSantis type governor. Uh, I'm not a big fan of those two specifically. I think that they. This is probably true of every governor on both sides across the great land of the United States. A lot of what they say and what they do is fluff. Uh, A lot of the EOs that Abbott has signed, I feel like, are straight pandering and a waste of everybody's time and tax dollars. Uh, DeSantis is being vaccinated and railing against the vaccine in Florida and pumping up alternative treatments, I think has done damage to not only Florida, but like anti-vaxxers can point to what he's saying and he gives them a lot of credence. I I would want him to be more like the Ohio governor who's a Republican. He is much more measured. And I think, again, based on what I've seen of Youngkin and hearing him speak, I think he's going to be a more of a, I believe it's Mike DeWine in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be more of that level-headed type governor. Uh, my fear would be he is turns into a DeSantis who's using the governorship as a stepping stone to the presidency. So he speaks to a national audience instead of taking care of his own state. I don't think that, again, I, I, I'm giving Youngkin a lot of benefit of the doubt. I think what he's campaigned on and how he's come across has been very measured and more moderate. But I thought that DeSantis was fairly measured and moderate when he was running in Florida and he turned out to not be. Uh, So that's, I don't think that there's much we can do about 2022. I think that this is just historically how it happens. If, if we held, if the Democrats held the Senate in 2022, that would be obviously a good thing, but I'm also, this goes to our system of government episode that we're previewing this whole episode. I think that if you're going to elect a governor and you're going to elect a house of delegates, you might as well give them this. Like I, I hate obstructionism for the most part. I think that Yunkin won the election. Uh, Republicans won the house. Like they should have the mandate to do what they want as far as putting in the policies that they think is best. And we should see whether they work or fail mm-hmm. instead of what we get in, on the federal level of n- both sides say they have all these great ideas, but because one side is always obstructing the other. None of them get implemented and we never know what will work. And the stuff that does get implemented is usually weak or doesn't have any effect or has a lot of unintended consequences because we waited until one party took over the entire presidency and the Congress and got they got to force through whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think either one. We don't compromise anymore. There's no, I mean, bipartisanship is a joke, but there's no compromise. There's no like, hey, we want $3 trillion on this infrastructure bill. And Republicans are like, oh, no, we shouldn't do that because of national debt, blah, blah, blah. If you want to pay for this, it has to be $1 trillion. The Republicans aren't going to vote for it if it's $3 trillion or $2 trillion or $1 trillion. It, they, there's, it's a zero-sum game. There's no benefit for Republicans to help the Democrats or the Democrat in office mm-hmm. when that Democrat can turn around and campaign on this is what I did for you. They they need Democrat in office or vice versa. The same thing, the exact same thing happened with Trump. They need to not be able to have anything to campaign on. Trump only passed the Trump tax cuts 
which is, I mean, he got a lot of judges passed through, don't get me wrong, which was a huge accomplishment. But like all he wanted to do infrastructure too. He wanted to pull out of Afghanistan too. He wanted to do all, a lot of the same sorts of immigration reform too. Democrats obstructed him as soon as they were able to in 2018. So it's not good on a national level. It's not good on a state level. The problem is, is if you get a DeSantis-like governor and then he gets full control of the House of Delegates and the, the state Senate, then I'm worried, right? I don't want them wielding unlimited power uh, to do things that I vehemently disagree with. But I also think that there is something to a mandate. There is something to elections matter that mm-hmm. Youngkin should be able to put in as policies. I mean, the states are where local and state government are where we see different policies. This the Texas abortion bill. We're going to see how that goes. But like they should be able to the Texas abortion bill shouldn't be put into effect i think it's a huge sham uh, and a joke but i'm glad that texas decided to try that because we should be able to see where it goes yeah it's the marriage of federalism right like use it to your advantage right and i don't think we really do that anymore and again it's because of the two-party system that we currently have yeah i went on a long diatribe to say exactly what you said 10 minutes ago <laughs> well, I mean, I'll go back to it. I kind of forgot, you know, with the Supreme Court hearing arguments about the Texas Texas law. And I mean, Alabama and Ohio, like, there's been a lot of states that have put in pretty, relatively speaking, pretty significant restrictions on abortion. And they're getting ruled on in the Supreme Court soon. So I think if the Supreme Court reverses what, it, what has been decades of precedent at this point, I would like to see Republicans, because you have the, the assembly and because you have the governorship, again, at least put forth legislation that gets voted on. To, to restrict abortion. Um, and I know we disagree significantly on, on that, obviously, but just as a Republican, that being something that I, I you know, use, usually agree with, with Republican policies on. If the, the, the law is changed or if the, the uh, judicial precedent is changed, I think just to be true to the party platform, if nothing else, you, you need to respond to the change in political environment and what might be able to be passed. Because even if it gets challenged, if it's upheld, that makes for stronger case law. Right. So school choice and depending on the outcome of the Supreme Court decisions here, those would be the two things I would like to see them emphatically pursue now that you ha- now that you're governing. So. Yeah, and not to get off topic for the 10th time this episode, but I, the Supreme Court case does not seem like it's going well for Texas. So I think that it's probably going to get struck down. The questions that, that Kavanaugh was asking and the questions other people were asking makes a point to like, if we let this pass, then states are going to be able to restrict whatever they want by empowering yep. the private civil courts to, to handle everything. Which is exactly what we said. Like, this That's <laughs> chaos. That's yeah. chaos. But like Alabama... I think would be, it'll be interesting when they rule on the Alabama law because that's also going to challenge. Because that's not a we're taking a criminal thing and making a, a, a civil dispute. Like yeah, so. so yeah, that'll be interesting. But yeah, the only thing I, I mean I want to end on is what what does do you think this this election said anything about twenty twenty two or twenty twenty four? I think historically everybody knows that the first midterm election during a president's first term is usually a bloodbath for them. I can't. I don't remember the last time that a first term president won the midterm election. His party won the midterm elections. I'm sure it's happened, but it's been a while. It definitely didn't happen during during Obama's presidency. He lost. Mm-hmm. They had the House and Senate in 2008 and he lost it. He lost the House in 2010 and then lost the Senate in 2012, I believe. I, I I believe every map I've seen shows that the Republicans picking up the House for sure. And I can't imagine that the Senate maps are, are, are friendly either. Does this 
did this show that that's definitely going to happen? Like Biden's going to be no different for 2022? Or do you think that uh, there could be an upset somewhere? No, I mean, I, I would assume that, you know, it won't be any different for President Biden. But, you know, I, I think what, what we learned from this election cycle and from the previous is just how politicians are going to message differently. And, you know, I think, again, Virginia, it's been blue for, for almost a decade now for any statewide election. I think they hopefully they learn like, you can't campaign against President Trump when he's not running. That's not a winning message. I think in the same way, like with how many House at the for the U.S. House of Representatives with the lead for Democrats narrowing, you know, I think they learned, at least in Virginia, Abigail Spanberger specifically, that defund the police is not a platform she wants to be tied to. This is not a platform a lot of moderate blue states and localities are in favor of. So I, th- I think that's what you're going to see come out of this is campaigns learning and recognizing what messaging works and what doesn't work and, and where the hangover effect from President Trump stands currently in the, the campaign climate for different candidates. That's all I think you're going to learn, though. Yeah. And I want to end on this question because I'm curious what you think. I talked about this at work with some other people. Do you think Biden runs in 2024? I think aside from President Washington, nobody has ever relinquished power voluntarily. Having said that, I don't know that he's having a lot of fun with with the job. And he kind of, it seemed assumed that he would only be a one-term president. But I'm going to say he does. I really think, I think he does. I think if Trump is the nominee, I think he 100% does. I think if he has a different opponent, I think it's way closer to 50-50. Do you think President Trump... I think we both would agree he's going to run. Do you think he wins? I I think he wins. I still think he has a lot of support. I don't think I the names that people float for candidates in 2024, I don't think would run against Trump if he if he runs. See, I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping he gets the Senator Sanders treatment. Honestly, if he primaries, cuz if if Republicans would have done what Democrats did before Super Tuesday to to basically give President uh, Biden the the nomination, there's no way he wins that. Like you had the the Trump supporters back in 2015, 16, when Republicans were primary. And then you had the rest of the party split 15 ways behind all the other candidates. And if they would have kind of dropped out sooner and just said, hey, to keep the rhetoric of the Trump campaign out of the White House, let's just all rally behind one person. If they had done that sooner, we would have never had a President Trump candidacy. You could argue Secretary Clinton would have won. You could argue that. But that would have been the way. And I think I'm hopeful that if he runs again, there would be good, strong candidates run against him. And if needs be, they'd all be willing to bow out to, to have a, a more proper statesman. In office in the nation. I can't I can't think of any strong candidate right now who would run against him or who is anti-Trump enough to go to go against him and lose his shine. DeSantis definitely isn't. Nikki Haley isn't. Senator Paul would, I bet. Yeah, but Senator Paul is not popular in the U.S. in general. Like, Cruz would, but again, Cruz is an idiot. I don't think... I'm trying to think of, like, big name politicians. <laughs> He's not an idiot. He's a smart guy. Oh, he, I mean, I. <laughs> the problem with Cruz is that he is a smart guy and that he makes... He's calculated. He makes super bad faith arguments that he know are bad faith that he should see through. I, if he was an idiot, his arguments would sit a lot better with me because I know he's an idiot. But yeah, he's he's a super smart guy. So every, so the way I've, I we're getting off topic again. But the way I view Cruz is is that he's uh, malicious and 
he is the typical evil Republican. He knows what he's doing is not is not uh, he'll say things. He, he clerked for the Supreme Court and he'll say things about law that he knows is absolutely wrong, but it plays to the base. And I, I hate that. If Trump says it, I assume that he doesn't know the law. I know Cruz knows the law and he's saying it to be insidious. And I think that's I think he's the literal personification of a a politician that you shouldn't vote for, like the snake. He's a snake, basically. Yeah. Adam Kinjinder might. He, he's the guy that. Yeah, I think I think he is right? a strong. No, I think he's a strong anti-Trump candidate. I just don't think he's going to have any national support. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. So we'll uh, we'll let it play out. Maybe we'll live stream 2022 if uh, the Braves aren't in the World Series again. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't overlap again. It's really poor timing. <laughs> I thought it was I thought October. I thought it's supposed to be October. Why was the World Series in November? What is that all about? I don't know. Get your your scheduling figured out, MLB. I agree. Opening day should be on April first, and the World Series should not exceed October thirty first. But yeah, that's, the, that's the entire point. We're gonna start having the Super Bowl in March. Watch. You heard, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> that's a hot take. That is a that's a hot. No, I don't know, man. They want to expand the season more and more. I'm I'm telling you, it's gonna be like spring break Super Bowl. <laughs> not a bad idea. It's got to at least be. President's Day, right? So you get the Monday off. They need to at least push it that that far into February. But I think this is good, man. I think we uh, pretty much top to bottom covered what uh, we thought happened in the, the postmortem of the Virginia governor election. I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2022 if the Republicans win the Senate and have full control in Virginia. That Those two years will be interesting. And I don't know what's going to happen with if Biden doesn't get anything done in the next year, he's not getting anything done after 2022. So, well, and you got to think once campaigns really start to heat up, there's going to be less motivation for yes. Republicans or anybody to to work with him. So his, his his window really is closing, I think, to get something done prior to congressional elections in a year. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll revisit a similar topic in 2022, one year from now, but. We are the OVO Deep State Podcast. I am at the rake, but the A is a four on Twitter. Thomas is at Thomas Black underscore 86. The show is at OVO Deep State on Twitter. Please join our Discord. We have some good conversations in there. I had a brutal conversation about Aaron Rodgers and his anti vaxxness on our Discord, and it didn't go well. I mean, I thought it went well for me, but I didn't think the conversation necessarily unfolded how it probably should have been for a civil debate but <laughs> you know if you want to join those conversations and, and see some train wrecks sometimes got to get on the discord uh you can follow us on spotify follow us on itunes please rate subscribe do all that stuff and as always we appreciate you for listening have a good day guys thanks thanks